Good morning, church. Let's start off by asking for the Lord's help as we look at his word this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you speak through me this morning, and I pray that I would be minimized and that you would be glorified. For we praise you as the God who is the giver of life. And we ask that you give us energy now just to focus on who you are this morning, and that we would be mutually encouraged by your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to start by asking you one simple question, church. Have you ever been lost before? I know I have many times, but one instance in particular that stands out to me is when I was about five or six years old in a department store with my mom, my little brother, and my little sister. I remember sitting in the clothing racks. And I'm sure many of us can understand that and remember that joy. But hiding in the clothing rack, and then one moment, I stuck my head out, and I realized that I was lost. Anybody can agree with that, right? We've all been there. I remember distinctly how much I loved that, but immediately how terrified I was when I realized that my family was gone. I was alone and small in that moment, in that instance. I remember frantically looking around, turning the corners of the clothing racks, searching high and low without any idea where they had gone. I was completely terrified when I realized this. Panic had set in, and I could do nothing but the obvious. Scream for help for my mom and my family. Beg for help, even, as I called out. But thankfully, and by God's grace, my mom, who was also on a mission to find me herself, came running towards me, scooped me up, and hugged me like a good mother would. And I'm sure she even treated me to some good ice cream afterwards. I remember frantically looking around, turning the corners, and saw my mom, and there was no better joy that I could have in that moment. Isn't it interesting, though, that you can be lost and not realize it? I was playing in that clothing rack and had no idea that I was so lost. But the moment that I stepped out and my eyes were open to my reality, there was only one thing for me to do. Seek help without holding back. And thankfully, I had a mom who took the time to patiently and intentionally seek me out as well. And church, our situation, spiritually speaking, as many of us know, is much graver than being lost in a department store as a child, as terrifying as that was. But thankfully, we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And we're going to read about that this morning in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me now to Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to give you our big idea now. Our big idea is this. For those who know that they are lost and come to Jesus, they will find a Savior who is ready to save. That's why he came. I'll say it one more time. For those who know they are lost and come to Jesus, they will find a Savior who is ready to save. For that's why he came. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. And it reads, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now these first two two verses introduce us to our main characters in this very descriptive narrative that Luke is giving us. 
And he's writing this so that we might believe. This he in verse 1 who is entering Jericho is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's God in human flesh who is walking through Jericho, dwelling among us. I can't imagine the excitement in Jericho that day as Jesus himself was nearing their town. We know that he was ultimately headed for Jerusalem. We see that he was passing by. He was headed for Jerusalem where we know that he will be betrayed, put on trial, mocked, abused, falsely accused, and murdered on a cross for those and by those whom he came to seek and to save. Can you imagine that level of anxiety that would cause someone like you or me as we're walking through town that day? Just to think about what is coming next. This was on the horizon for Jesus, yet he kept walking towards it faithfully, patiently, and lovingly. That's the heart of our Savior this morning. And then we look to verse 2, and the text says, Behold. So in other words, he says, pay attention. Luke is now introducing us to our second main character this morning. The text says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And that's important. A tax collector's job was to obviously collect the people's taxes that they owed to Rome. But being a chief tax collector meant that Zacchaeus not only was in charge of just this one big city, but he was in charge of the entire region. So this man was very rich, and we see why. I mean, this was a gold mine of a job if you're looking for one back then. So we can see why Zacchaeus is rich. Because being a tax collector meant that he could come to your house, knock on your door, or even kick your door open if he so desired and pleased, and we'll see why, because he had Roman soldiers standing behind him. So he, he would show up, knock on your door with soldiers armed to the teeth, ready to ensure that you are submissive to Zacchaeus as he collects his due for Rome. Can you imagine that? It's a pretty intimidating scenario to think about. It's kind of like an IRS agent with military agents coming in April, knocking on your door and asking for your tax payment. I think we would all agree that we'd rather mail them in or pay them online. But that's the way it was. And to make matters worse, Zacchaeus had the ability and the authority to take this 10 steps further. He was able to set his own salary by taking whatever else he wanted from you without cap, without limit, without you being able to say or do anything about that. Imagine that. Sure, you could fight back maybe, but you'd likely end up dead or in jail with the Roman soldiers behind him. The world would probably look at this Zacchaeus and his profession and think, he's got the stable job, he knows the right people, he has power and authority. He's not in any legal trouble for what he's doing, right? He's a friend of the state. And he's even rich. He's got it pretty good. Obviously, the text says that. Now, I'll say a side note, though. Not all tax collectors back in that day took advantage of the same thing Zacchaeus would. But Zacchaeus would take it up a notch. And we're going to see proof of that later in our text. Now, we don't know how Zacchaeus got into this business, right? But he most likely chose this career path, and he did this fully knowing that he would be hated by his own people. So this was important to him. And the text doesn't say this for sure, but I don't think it would be a far-fetched idea to imagine him as he walked the streets in the daylight. He could hear the whispers and grumbles of his friends and companions. Well, maybe not friends, right? 
and whispering, there goes that crook Zacchaeus again. But that was most likely the case. And maybe when he got home at night, as he tried to sleep, he would toss and turn and couldn't sleep quite right anymore. Maybe those things started to break him down slowly and slowly and slowly, piece by piece, as he laid at night. After all, I can attest that's many of our stories, right? Maybe he started to wake up in the mornings completely exhausted and looking at himself in the mirror and asking, what in the world is wrong with me? Why do I feel so incomplete and lost when I have so much? Is this all there is to our life? And we'll see this play out this morning in our story. And how do we know this? Let's look at verse 3. You'll need to leave your Bibles open this morning because we're going to walk through step by step. Verse 3, it says this, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So what do we find Zacchaeus doing here in verse 3? He's seeking to see who Jesus was. And we know you don't seek something unless you need something. But let me ask you this. Why would someone who is this rich and this powerful be seeking anything on his own two feet? It's pretty strange, right? It's, it's likely that he could have anyone fetch this information for him with ease. It's almost like, Luke is writing these words right after that he is rich to point out the fact that he is not satisfied. He is seeking. Jesus had rightfully caught his undivided attention this morning. This likely means that he must have heard something about Jesus before. We don't exactly know what it was, but it's likely that he heard it from his tax coworker friends, right? Tax collector friends as they were meeting with him. Jesus ran into them all sorts of times throughout the Gospels. But it's also likely that he just heard the miracles that Jesus had done, healing a blind beggar as Jesus entered Jericho just recently. So we don't know how well he knew of Jesus. All we know is right now he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But as he gets closer to where Jesus is, he runs into a huge problem. The crowds are swarming around Jesus. See, Jesus right now is at the tail end of his ministry on earth. He has all sorts of people that are following him currently. It wasn't just Jesus and a few stragglers. So if you think that, throw that out. This is a lot of people that he has with him. This was a sight to see. But as we see, it was also terrible news for our friend Zacchaeus this morning. Why was it bad news? Because he was small in stature. He was short. And let's not forget, these people most likely do not like him. These crowds of people around Jesus. So I'm sure they wouldn't have made it easy for Zacchaeus as he's trying to get up to Jesus and see him. So what does he do? Does he give up? Does he say, well, it's just not meant to be. I'm going to go home, catch the game. No, he doesn't say that, right? Look at verse 4. He ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Look at the desperation in Zacchaeus right now. There is nothing that he won't do to see Jesus this morning. This shows his deep desire to see who Jesus is, and we should all take note of that. That desire would not be extinguished by any large crowd 
or even what the large crowd thought of him. He felt his need for him. There was no way in this man's mind that he would miss this opportunity today. He didn't want to go back home without figuring out if there was something to this Jesus that he has heard about. And there was. We'll see. He felt such an urgency at this point that it was worth taking the extra time and energy to run ahead and climb a tree of all things. I couldn't tell you the last time I've climbed a tree. Can you? Because he knew that Jesus was something to see. He knew he wasn't going to let this opportunity pass his way. I bet if we're able to go back in time and pull out our lawn chairs like we have this morning and just watch this scene take place from afar, we might be amazed, but truthfully, we might be laughing, right? We might have our phones out recording this rich man running just to see Jesus and climbing a tree of all things. This rich, powerful man who tries to threaten us wants to see Jesus so badly And couldn't nudge his way into the crowd that he turns and sprints like a kid to the candy store. Why? In order to climb a tree of all things. Just picture that. Now keep in mind, he's most likely in his very fine attire. And running in these days is not meant for the lavish life. It's very odd to see someone who is rich running. And then to take it even to greater lengths, seeing this grown man in fine fine clothes climbing a tree as Jesus passes by. He didn't care what anybody thought what he looked like at this point. You have to be pretty adamant to seek something if you're willing to go through all these lengths. Some might even call you desperate. But we're left to ask the question, will Zacchaeus get to see who Jesus is? And we're going to see in verses 5 through 6. So look there with me. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus was hoping just to merely see who Jesus was today. But he got way more than he would have ever bargained for. Jesus stops with all the crowds around him and looks up. Can you picture that sitting in that tree? And Jesus looks up at him, stops this entire crowd, and calls him by name. For Zacchaeus to see Jesus look up and to hear him call his name must have been such a relief in itself. But then to hear Jesus say, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Why? For I must stay at your house today. I mean, can you imagine that sight? After everything that he's done and he's been through, he's been living like a wretch. But all that matters now to him is that Jesus is coming to his house today. This is how gracious Jesus is, as he is on a mission himself. For Zacchaeus to see Jesus look up and to hear him say this, was he received him joyfully, the text says. He stops and looks up. Jesus patiently takes his time with this small, lost man who had a very, very big desire to see who Jesus was today. So Zacchaeus hurries down and receives him joyfully. Now, as we recall, this isn't just Zacchaeus and Jesus in this scene. Don't forget the crowds. They're not going to let us forget them. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. 
He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. Keep in mind, these are most likely very religious people who could have been wronged by Zacchaeus or at least knew of his not-so-handy work, right? If you've been wronged by someone's sin, you can understand their frustration at this point, most likely. The crowd grumbles. They complain. They can't believe their eyes. What is he doing hanging out with this man? I mean, why would Jesus be the guest of this man out of all people in this town? He's a sinner. But there's a lot of irony in that statement, isn't there? This is a self-righteous heart. It's a heart that thinks we somehow deserve to see Jesus more than anyone else. And we don't. Don't be deceived by that thought. This couldn't be farther from the truth this morning. For the Bible tells us what? There is none righteous, not even one. No one who deserves to be accepted and received by God. Because why? The wages of our sin is death. No matter how big or how small we might think our sins are, they still deserve death because they are disobedience to a holy and just and loving God. Why is sin such a big deal? When we sin, we are telling God that we know better than him. We've all done it. We're playing God ourselves, setting ourselves up for failure, running by our own rules and our own measures of right and wrong. Zacchaeus was just able to do this a little better with the Roman guards behind him. Jesus didn't come to seek and to save someone who is not admitting they are lost. Jesus came to seek those who admit they are lost. In fact, Luke 5.31 says it well. Those who are well have no need of a physician, Jesus says, but those who are sick. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as we said before, none of us are spiritually well left to ourselves. You might think you are, but you would be fooling yourselves. Zacchaeus, now hearing the grumbling and the right complaints that he was in fact a sinner, because they weren't wrong in their assessment, we can imagine him looking over at the table and seeing Jesus in his house, the light of the whole world shining into his darkness. Immediately, he steps out of that clothing rack that I was in as a kid and realizes how small and how lost he truly was. We see it in his reaction. Even though he had so much that the world had to offer, verse 8 will show us how he reacts to that light of the world. Look there with me. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus finally gets it, doesn't he? He sees his need and he confesses his sins. And church, this is what true saving faith and repentance should look like. We know that repentance simply means to turn away. We've heard that in church. But to trust and to obey, to follow Jesus, looks like exactly what Zacchaeus is doing for us this morning. We see it firsthand. It reminds me so much of the blind beggar in Luke 18 who hears Jesus passing by. And he's blind, right? So he just hears him passing by and he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Yet this is a rich man we have here in Zacchaeus who has gained the world's goods at the expense of others. 
and he now opens his hands of his riches. He's no longer trusting in himself, his work, his skills, his Roman guards even, or his financial success. He is trusting in Christ and Christ alone. He's saying, Lord, my worth, as we sing, is not in what I own, but it's in who I know. It is found in you alone, Jesus. Zacchaeus for so long had such a tight grip on his riches, and now we see him releasing this grip completely. He gladly and joyfully sees the great worth in Jesus Christ sitting in front of him in his own house. Jesus is far better than anything that this world could ever offer him, and he would know. And he says, Lord, whatever you want, it is yours. He said, half of my goods I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus saw this. He saw that, like Paul did, considered all as rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. It's hard to say that, but it's true. And Paul knew it, and Zacchaeus knew it. He was convinced of it, and he not only spent one day, and he only spent one day with Jesus, and knew, as the song says, that it was better than a thousand elsewhere. Do we believe that, church? Because Zacchaeus surely did, and he didn't leave any doubt behind. And now we're left to ask, how will Jesus respond to this confession and plea for forgiveness? Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this man's house today. That's the gospel, right? That, that's the good news. I mean, isn't that what this is all about? Salvation. The text doesn't say this, but I can imagine Zacchaeus standing there while the crowds are heckling him that he is a, he's, with, he's a sinner. And he confesses while tears well up in his eyes as he has flashbacks of all the wrong things he's ever done. All the guilt piling up. And he's agreeing, they're right. I'm, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve this Jesus. But what, what does Jesus say? Today salvation has come to this man's house since he also is a son of Abraham. That, that's the gospel, church. That's the good news. That no matter what we do, Jesus Christ is willing to save if we know that we are lost. Well, salvation itself is nothing short of a miracle. But if we're the crowds this day, and we've been following Jesus for any amount of time, even a short period of time, we know that back in Luke 18, they would have seen Jesus' interaction with another rich man. This rich young ruler told Jesus that he followed all, all the laws of God since his youth. Unlike Zacchaeus, who was very religious. And what was Jesus' challenge to him? He says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And what happens next? Well, this rich young ruler heard these things from Jesus, and he became very sad. He became sad because he was extremely rich, the text tells us. And Jesus says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
those who heard this interaction between Jesus and him said this, well, who can be saved? It's a good question. Jesus says, what is impossible with man is impossible with God. So I think Luke wants us to be amazed by this interaction with Zacchaeus today. God made the impossible possible in Zacchaeus' house today. He made the camel go through the eye of a needle. But if we're reading this verse 9 carefully, an interesting statement is made by Jesus. Did you notice it? He says, salvation has come to this house. Why? For he is also a son of Abraham. He says, salvation has come here. That may strike you as strange this morning if you've been in church for any length of time. Is Jesus saying that salvation has come to Zacchaeus because he is from Abraham's biological line? No, right? We know that not to be true. But where is it in scripture? Well, it's a lot of places, but the most straightforward place is Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. If you want to write that down, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. And it says this. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So the point being, it's not because it was in his blood that he was saved, right? It was in Christ's blood that he was saved. It's by faith that he was saved. Which kind of makes us wonder, do we actually see faith here? It's not like we see Zacchaeus in this text saying, Lord, forgive me, right? I'm a sinner. He simply announces to Jesus that he is willing to give up and to do anything to make things right. So is it by faith or by works that Zacchaeus is saved this morning? I think it's a fair question for us to ask. I mean, the biggest contrast between him and this rich young ruler is that the rich young ruler didn't give up all his goods and follow Jesus. He went away very sad. Well, if you're new to Christianity, the basic fact of it is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Ephesians 2 tells us that, that it is a gift from God. But we also know from the book of James that we read recently that faith without works is dead. You can't have faith in something without trusting and obeying it. And they say, as they say, saving faith does indeed work. So you aren't saved by your works, but saving faith does and should have an effect on the way that we live our lives. It sees the good works that the Lord puts in front of us, and it walks in them by faith. And Jesus knew that this was what Zacchaeus was doing. We see his heart change this morning. We see what he values most now. Jesus says that you will know a tree by its fruit. Once he saw who Jesus was, he could care less about that next big opportunity or pay raise. All he wanted at this point was to see Jesus and know him. Now, if you've been to church, if you haven't been to church before, you might be rightfully asking us the question, what is Zacchaeus actually saved from? Well, the answer to that simple but serious question is that he was saved from the wrath of God. Proverbs 24 tells us that God will repay man according to his works. That's a scary thought. He is just, and the just punishment is God's rightful wrath for all of eternity, separated from everything good and everything glorious. And that is nothing for us to play around with. Hebrews 10 warns us that it is a fearful thing for us to fall into the hands of the living God. And unfortunately, left to ourselves, 
we have no hope whatsoever because we've all sinned. But the good news, and there is good news, is this, that Jesus, the same Jesus that Zacchaeus had found in salvation, he lived the perfect sinless life that we have failed to live. And then he would die the death and penalty that we deserved to die. Yet three days later, we know he rose again. And he was proving that the wrath of God was fully poured out for you if you but trust in Jesus. If you just turn from your sin and trust in him, he says you will be saved like Zacchaeus was this morning. Salvation will come to your house as well. Look at verse 10. Jesus tells you this morning, for the son of God, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is exactly why Jesus came. But if you're a Christian this morning, I also want to warn us how easy it is to become stagnant, is it not? And to stop fighting for faith, especially living in America where most and maybe all of us are wealthy and rich compared to the rest of the entire world. Church, we need to be careful and remind ourselves and each other of our desperate need of Jesus this morning. As Christians, we should be playing not the long game, but the longest game, the eternal one. C.T. Studd, I love this quote, says it this way, Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Don't get lost in the riches. Ask yourself today, what do you value most? And be honest with yourself. Jesus bids us to come and die. We die to self like Zacchaeus did. We should remember Zacchaeus running frantically to a tree just to see Jesus, just to get a glimpse of who he was. Jesus, and, and the good news for us is that we have the full picture of what Jesus looks like in the Bible. We have all of it in, our, in the palm of our hands most of the time with our phones. So, so ask yourself, what do you value most? There should be an urgency as we fight for faith every single day. That's why we come to church. Because church, we need Jesus just as badly as the first day that we met him. We really do. I can remember many times in my young adult life, I was living in unrepentant sin and hiding from my Savior. There are so, so many pains that I wish that I would have avoided but I chose self, selfish gain and immediate gratification instead. I thought, as the poet once said, that I was the captain of my ship and the master of my fate. But I was dead wrong. <laughs> there comes a point in my life when you look and you see the sin in your heart. I can see my heart growing colder and bitter and more callous towards Jesus. <sighs> Sitting alone at night, Tossing and turning with nothing but my thoughts and actions condemning me. But don't believe that lie, church, that you're too far gone. There is a better way. But it starts with realizing how lost you are first. As C.H. Spurgeon, a 19th century pastor from London, once said, Redeeming love has set apart many of the worst of mankind to be the reward of the Savior's passion. Effectual grace calls forth many of the vilest of vile 
to sit at the table of mercy. Therefore, he says, let none despair. Reader, he says, by that love looking out of Jesus's tearful eyes, by that love streaming from those bleeding wounds, by that faithful love, by that strong love, that pure abiding love, by the heart and by the bowels of the Savior's compassion for you, we conjure you, turn not away as though it were nothing to you, but believe on him and you shall be saved. Trust your soul with him and he will bring you to his father's right hand and glory everlasting forever. End quote. There are sinners everywhere, church, everywhere you look, and you and I are one of them. The difference in the end is who or what that you place your trust in to save you. We see a beautiful glimpse of Jesus' patient and personal care for anyone who seeks him this morning in the story of Zacchaeus, no matter who you are or what you've done. The way he looks up in Zacchaeus' searching eyes as he's sitting in that tree and calls him down, comes to his house to stay, and promotes humility of Zacchaeus over the self-righteousness of the crowd, tells us a lot about who Jesus is. As if to say, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from it, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So will you trust him this morning? If you have any questions at all about what this looks like, there is nothing more that we want to do than talk to you. So talk to anyone here. If you're online, send an email, send a phone call, text message, whatever. The whole point is just come, come to Jesus. For Jesus came for this reason, to seek and to save those who are lost. Let's pray, church.